Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Habakkuk. We're back there today. And today I want you to go to Habakkuk chapter 2. As we continue this series entitled Trusting God During Trying Times. Now while you're turning to that passage of scripture in your Bibles, I got a couple of things that I want you to help me pray about in these next few days. First of all, I want you to pray with me about some folks in our church that need healing in their bodies. As you know, none of us whether it be directly or indirectly, have escaped not being impacted by this COVID-19 coronavirus. And we've got a few people in our church, and thank God we've not had any major outbreaks like maybe some other churches have experienced and had to shut down for a season. And I don't mean the season when this thing first began, but I mean recently. And so God has been good to us, but we do have some people that need healing in their bodies today. And I want you to pray with me about that. And we're going to pray about that before we leave today. But then I'm also asking you to join me in prayer because we are targeting October the 18th, Sunday the 18th, to bring our church body back together in one service. Now, we have not made a final decision on that. We are praying this through. I've met with our pastor's council and sought their wisdom and direction. The staff, we met with all of our teachers that would be involved because we just want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable uh, doing this. But I'm going to ask if you would please to pray with me about this because we want to make sure that we're doing the right, wise thing. We want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And we want to make sure that we're doing what honors God the most. And I believe that in this situation that what's best for the people will honor God. If we do what's best for his people, that it will honor God. So over the next several days, pray with me about that. Who would have thought that back in March, and I believe it was March the 15th when we had to start doing live stream services only because of this pandemic that we're in. And who would have thought that we would have had to do Easter services, just live stream only, and Mother's Day live stream only, and that it would be at the end of May before we would even be able to come back together in two services. And now here we are about into October, and we're still just kind of in the process. So it, uh, it's been quite the journey, hasn't it? Uh, but, but we feel like that maybe we're at the point to where we could safely bring everybody back together again and still have some precautions uh, so that we can bring the entire body together. But please, just be praying with me about that. As you can see, uh, you, you can look around here this morning, you can see that uh, there is plenty of room for people to join us in this service and still practice safe social distancing. Um, and our first service is just a little smaller than this one. Um, but I think, I think we would be well. So just be praying with us about that. We're all still kind of in the waiting room. We're, we're all still kind of in a waiting zone here. Um, and hun, if we can just maybe take her, take her into the prayer room and um, as we get started in the message this morning. But I, I think all of us are going to be able to identify with this message today because of the season that, that we are in right now. Last week, in, in Habakkuk chapter 1, we saw that Habakkuk was wrestling with God about some things. Matter of fact, the name Habakkuk means to embrace, or it means to, to wrestle. And Habakkuk is wrestling with, some, with, with God uh, about some things. We saw it last week, some problems that Habakkuk has with God. Problem number one is he just felt like God didn't seem to care. 
That, that, that God didn't seem to care. I mean, all of this injustice, all of this violence was going on and, and it just didn't seem like God was, was doing anything and, and, and that he didn't even care, that he, he seemed to be indifferent through all of it. But not only was he struggling with the fact that God didn't seem to care, he also said, God, you're not doing much when you could. I think all of us have been a little bit frustrated right there. <laughs> when, when we've been in a situation or we've been surrounded with circumstances and we know that God has the power and God has the ability to do something, but it just doesn't seem like he's doing anything. So he, he, he's got problems with God about God not seeming to care. God, you're not doing much when you could. And then thirdly, he's struggling with the fact that what God is doing doesn't seem fair. Now, has anybody besides me here this morning wrestled with those same things when it comes to your relationship with God? And, and, and we talked about it last week that, that Habakkuk had, had found himself in a dip. I, I showed you this diagram last week based on a book that was written by Seth Godin and he uses this diagram for business purposes, but we're using it for spiritual purposes. And all of us know that when we begin our journey with the Lord, we, we're, we're on this, this spiritual high. You know, we, we feel something that we've never felt before. We have, we have all of these God coincidences, you know, where, where we, we, leave, we come to church and, and, and it's like, man, everything pastor said today was just for me. Boy, that message just really spoke to me today. You go get in your car, turn on the radio, and your favorite song is playing. And, and you go to Walmart, you get to Walmart, you get the best parking place at Walmart. I mean, everything's going good. You're praying, and God is answering your prayers. And all of us know what it's like to be here. But at every point in time in a believer's life, at some point in time, should I say, we're going to hit a dip. It's what Robert Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, calls a crisis of belief or a crisis of faith. And when we hit that crisis of belief or crisis of faith, now we come to church and the message just doesn't seem to have anything to say to us. We get in the car and our least favorite song is playing. We go to Walmart, we can't find a parking place. We pray and God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. We get bad reports that maybe somebody in the family has an incurable disease and we pray for their healing, but instead of them being healed, they die. I mean, just, just all kinds of crises of belief and crises of faith that, that we face. And that's where Habakkuk is in Habakkuk chapter 1. That's where we left him last week. He was in a crisis of belief. He was in a crisis of faith. He was, he was at a point to where he was saying, God, what I see does not line up with what I believe in my heart about you. And, and really, the book of Habakkuk is written in judicial language. And by that, I, I mean that it's like Habakkuk is saying to God, he's saying, God, I love you, God, I believe in you, God, I'm going to serve you, come hell or high water, but God, I'm taking you to court because I believe that I have evidence against you that you are not just in this matter. And all of us have felt like that. You ever felt like taking God to court before? Because it didn't seem like, or you seemed to have some evidence against God that, that God just wasn't who he said he was and that God just wasn't doing what he said that he would do. And so Habakkuk is in this crisis of faith. He is in the dip. And so this morning, the question that we want to answer is this, and that is, what do we do when we're in the dip? In Habakkuk chapter 1, he was wrestling with God, but in Habakkuk chapter 2, he is now waiting on God. But the real question in this chapter is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond when you're in the dip? How are you going to respond when you have encountered a crisis of belief or a crisis of faith? Well, Habakkuk did three things that you and I must do when we're in the dip. The first thing that Habakkuk did was this. He stopped 
and he listened. He stopped and he listened. Because look at what the scripture says. He said, I'm going to climb up to my watchtower and I'm going to stand my guard post. You remember at the end of chapter 1, we left that chapter with Habakkuk having all kinds of questions. Some of us left the service last week still having questions. But I encouraged you on your way out that when you have a crisis of belief, when you're in the dip, you got to do the Habakkuk. You got to just embrace God. You've got to embrace who you know he is. You've got to embrace the promises that he's given you. And that's where Habakkuk was when we left chapter 1. He still had some questions, but he held on to God. And it says that he, he, he climbed up on his watchtower to stand at his guard post. And he said, there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Notice two things. He stopped. He said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to chill. And I'm going to wait to see what the Lord says to me. Is there anybody here in this building today that believes that God still speaks to his people? Okay, there's a few of you. Let me ask it again. Is there anybody in this room today, more than a few, that believes that God still speaks? Amen. Listen, it's, the problem is not whether or not God still speaks. The problem is, are we stopping long enough to listen? Because we are sometimes so busy that we fail to hear what God says. Now, primarily, the way that God continues to speak to us is through his word, the Bible. If somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, God just ain't speaking to me or God don't talk to me, that tells me they don't read their Bible. Because if you'll read your Bible every day, God will speak to you every day. Because it's his word to us. And God still speaks through his word. And if God chooses to speak to you any other way apart from his word, it will always line up with his word. And if it doesn't line up with his word, if it's contrary to his word, then it's not a word from God. See, I believe that God can also speak to us through his audible voice. Has anybody ever heard the audible voice of God? I don't know of too many people that have actually heard the audible voice of God, but I do believe that God can still speak audibly to us. I believe that God can speak to us through our circumstances. I believe he's trying to do that in this pandemic that we are in right now. That if we would stop and listen, that God is trying to speak to us. God is trying to say some things to us. I believe that God can speak to us still through other people. And aren't you thankful today that some folks hear from God and get an encouraging word from God for you? That God speaks through them to you but we have to stop and listen so that we can hear what God is saying. And that's what Habakkuk did. He stopped and he listened. But not only did he stop and listen, the second thing that he did is he wrote down what God spoke to him. And you and I need to do the same thing when we're in the dip. Now listen, this is so important. We actually will need to write down what God reveals to us at this point in our lives. Because there's two reasons that we need to write down what God says to us. Reason number one is so that it will serve as a reminder to us when we are in the thick of difficult circumstances. You see, when, when you are here, you, you need a point of reference. You, you need to be reminded of what God said here. So that's why you need to write down everything that God says because when it comes to pass, God wants you to be able to know that he's faithful and that God will do what he says he's going to do. I love to sit down sometime and look at my prayer journal where I've been writing down during my prayer and quiet times what God has spoken to me. And I love to look at that 
that I've written down years ago, but now see how God answered those prayers, how God fulfilled those promises that he gave to me years ago. If I had not written those things down, then I would not have had that point of reference. I mean, let's face it, folks. Most of us need a list just to go to Walmart so that we don't forget what we're going to Walmart to pick up. You see, we got to learn to write things down that God shows us, not, not just to remind us of the faithfulness of God, but it's also a benefit. It's also a blessing to us because what's gotten me through a lot of dips in my life is going back and reflecting on what God said to me when I was at this point in my life and remembering what God spoke to me here helped me get through the dips in my life, helped me to get through. It's a point of reference because I'm telling you, not every time that God gives you a vision, most of the time when God speaks a word to you, most of the time when God gives you a revelation or a vision, it's not going to happen immediately. There's going to be a period of time, as we're going to see in this next verse, there's going to be a period of time of waiting. There's going to be a period of time when your circumstances are going to scream that what God promised you is never going to happen. That what God gave you a vision of is never going to become a reality. And so you've got to have this written down as a point of reference so that when you get here and begin to doubt, you've got a word from God that you can fall back on. I can't tell you how many times I've had to fall back on the vision that God has given us for this house and for this community because we do hit seasons sometimes where it looks like what God said is never going to come to pass, that it's never going to happen. But I don't ever allow what What's happening to me in the difficult times of my life to cause me to forget what God spoke to me during a time of my life when I was in a season of prayer and fasting and seeking his will for my life. So you need to write it down. And that's what Habakkuk did. But then a third thing that Habakkuk does, and, and, and look at what it says here. He said that the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. He wrote it down. And he wrote it down so big. He wrote it down so bold. It was like a billboard that, that, that you could just go by it at 60 miles an hour and glance at it and still get the message. But not only did he stop and listen, and not only did he write down what God said, but then the third thing that he had to do, and this is the most difficult thing, he had to wait and wait and wait and wait. Listen to, listen to how he said it here in verse 3. He said, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Everybody say appointed time. He said the vision is for an appointed time. That, that word appointed time in the Hebrew, and let me just paraphrase what it means. It means there's nothing you can do to speed it up. There's nothing that you can do to slow it down. That when it's time for what God promised you is going to happen, it's going to happen at the appointed time. Not before not a second after. It's like a woman who is pregnant and she's carried that baby for nine months and then the appointed time comes. And when she's ready to give birth, nothing you can do to speed it up, nothing you can do to slow it down because the appointed time has come. And somebody here this morning, you need to know that the vision, the promise that God has given you is for an appointed time. It may not be for right now. It may not be for tomorrow or next week. In this situation, what God was going to reveal to Habakkuk, it took a hundred years for it to happen. And so Habakkuk had to wait. 
Because it was a hundred years before the revelation and the vision that God gave him came to pass. And so he said, it's for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak. Let me tell you something about a vision from God. Let me tell you something about a promise from God. It speaks so much louder at the end than it does at the beginning. And what it tells us at the end is that God is faithful to do what God said he would do. Because when God gives you a word and that word comes to pass, then at the end, it speaks loudly. It speaks clearly. See, I told you that what I said was going to happen was going to happen. It speaks clearly. It speaks loudly about the faithfulness of God, and it will not lie. And he said, though it tarries. That's where some of you are this morning. You're in the waiting room. You're in the waiting zone because what God has promised you, it's tarrying. But he says, it will surely come. It will not tarry. But he had to enter into a season of waiting. And every one of us, there's going to be a season of waiting between the time that God gives you a promise, between the time that God gives you a vision and a revelation about an area of your life, and the time when that vision is going to be fulfilled. And when God began to talk to Habakkuk and give him the revelation and to give him the vision, he started like this. He said, behold the proud. And he's speaking here about those Babylonians that are going to take the people of God into captivity. That they were a proud people. But what he's going to do now is he's going to contrast how proud people live their lives to how faithful, righteous people live their lives. And we don't live the same way. Proud people trust in themselves. And that's who the Babylonians were. And basically, God was saying to Habakkuk, now Habakkuk, you're about to go into a season of waiting. And in this season of waiting, it's going to look like I don't care. And in this season of waiting, it's going to look like I'm not doing something when I could. And in this season of waiting, it's going to look like I'm not just, that I'm not fair. Because I am going to use these Babylonians to discipline and to chasten my people. I am going to use somebody more wicked than my own people to bring judgment on my people. But he said, Habakkuk, just hang on. Because in the end, the Babylonians are going to reap what they've sown. In the end, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians as well. In the end, I'm going to judge the Babylonians as well. And their kingdom is going to come crashing down. And he said, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. And then he goes to verse 5. He says that wealth is treacherous. And the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave. And like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many people. That's the Babylonians. That's prideful people. They can never be satisfied. They can never have enough. The Babylonians would conquer one nation. That wasn't enough. They had to conquer another nation. And so God releases five woes against the Babylonians. Five woes against people who trust in themselves. And look at these woes. He said, but soon, talking about the Babylonians, their captives will taunt them. Babylon, you are taunting them right now. But in the end, they are going to taunt you. And he said, they will mock them saying, woe, what sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. And so God says, I'm going to judge you because of your extortion. Extortion is when you gain something that you want, especially money, by the means of threats and force. And that's who these Babylonians were. By means of threat and force, they were gaining things, getting things that did not belong to them. And he said, what sorrow awaits you thieves? You're going to get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on 
on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. And then he goes on to verse 8. And he says, because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. And God is saying to the Babylonians that you are going to reap what you've sown, that what you've done to others, it's going to come back on you. And then he goes to the second woe. And he says, woe, what sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? Now he's going to judge them for their covetousness. Now, just in case you're wondering why I'm sharing all of these scriptures with you, remember what the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. When he was speaking to young Timothy, he said, Timothy, in the last days, perilous times, difficult times are going to come. He said, this is what the last days are going to be like. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. What am I saying? I'm saying that the Babylonian spirit is still alive and well in the world in which you and I live right now. That is the spirit of this world. Those are signs and indications that we are living in the last days. But God goes on and he says, what awaits you who build houses with money gained through your covetousness? You believe that your wealth is going to buy you security. Putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. Have you ever seen where an eagle builds its nest? It builds it so high so that, so that no one can get to that nest to disturb that nest and to bother those eaglets. And what the Babylonians would do is they would build walls around their cities that were a hundred feet high, thinking that no enemy will ever be able to scale these walls. No enemy will ever be able to get over these walls. We're safe here. We're secure here. But what they didn't realize is what a lot of people don't realize today, and that is you can't build a wall big enough to keep God out. You can't build a wall big enough that when God comes with his judgment, that's going to keep God out and keep God from doing what God has come to do. Somebody here today, you need to know that when time for judgment comes, that is going to set you free and that's going to liberate you and going to give you the justice that you need. When that appointed time comes, there's nothing that can stop God from doing what only God can do. And he says they build their nest beyond the reach of danger. He said, but by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lies. And the very stones in the walls cry out against you. And the beams in the ceilings echo the complaints those stones that those walls are built with those beams that you built your building with he said that's a testimony against you they are witnesses against you that you got all of those means through dishonest gain and then he goes on to the next woe and he says what sorrow awaits you who build city with money gained through murder and corruption now he's talking about and judging them because of their exploitation of people they would take the nation of Israel captive and force them to be slaves. And these slaves would build their cities for them. It was slave labor. It was forced. They were exploiting the people and God wanted them to know, I see it and you are not going to get away with it. And he goes on and says, has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. And then he goes to the fourth woe. And he says this. He said, woe, what sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? Now he's judging them for their debauchery. He said, you force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. And do you know what one of the strategies of the Babylonians were? To get their enemies drunk because if they could get their enemies drunk, they knew 
knew that they were a, a weaker prey drunk than they were sober. And so they would get their enemies drunk and then they would attack and they would overtake them. That's the kind of people that they were. And he said, but soon, God said, it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. God said, you forced them to drink out of your cup. I'm going to force you to drink out of my cup. And my cup is a cup of judgment. And then he goes on to verse 17 and he says, you cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. Can I just stop right here and say that God is concerned about all of his creation, everything that he created, and that we are not to use anything that God created for our own selfish purposes and our own selfish means. And that's what these Babylonians were doing, cutting down the forest of Lebanon so that they would have wood to build their big houses, so that they would have wood for their fires. And then he said, you destroyed the wild animals, animals that they really didn't need, but because of their indulgence, they would kill to eat those animals. And he said, you committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. And then he announces the last woe. He said, what good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation. You want to know what idolatry is? Paul tells us in Romans 125 what idolatry is. It's when we worship and serve the creature more or other than worshiping and serving God. Who would have ever thought that we were to worship and serve something that was created by God rather than the God who created it, but that's what they're doing. And so he says, woe, what sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless on the inside. Your idols can't even talk to you. Your idols can't speak to you. Your idols cannot do anything for you. They may look good, but they're empty. They are hollow on the inside. And God is revealing all of this to Habakkuk as a part of the vision. And he's saying, yes, Habakkuk, it's going to look like I don't care. It's going to look like I'm not doing what I should. It's going to look like what I'm allowing is not fair. You're going to see these Chaldeans come in. And yes, I'm going to use them to chasten my people. But I want you to know that in the end, their kingdom is going to come down. And may I say this morning, you go back and study any of the great kingdoms of the world, whether it be the Romans, whether it be the Medes and the Persians, whether it be the Egyptians, whether it be the Babylonians, do you know what they all have in common? They no longer exist. They rose and they fell. But there is one kingdom and it's called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God will endure forever. The kingdom of God will never come down. The kingdom of God will never fall. Nobody will ever be able to crush the kingdom of God. How many of you know today that we as the children of God, that we are a part of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will last forever. And so he's saying to Habakkuk, when all of this is going on, he said, you've got, you've got to remember something. And he goes back to verse four. And whereas he said that the proud, their soul is not upright, where the proud trust in themselves. He says, the just shall live by his faith. Now, let me just tell you something about faith. I know that it took an act of faith to start this journey with God. Because we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith. But faith is not a one-time act. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. Faith is not a one-time act. Faith is something that you've got to live by every single day of your life. Every second of every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, you have got to walk by faith and not by sight. Because there are going to be times in your life 
when what you see is not going to line up with what you believe to be true about God in your heart. And so God said, whereas the proud are going to trust in themselves, the righteous will live by their faith. And listen to me, the closer we get to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, because everybody, every one of us in this room here today, we need to understand that the greatest promise that God has ever given us is the promise that Jesus is coming again, is the promise of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest promise that he's ever given us. But if we look with our eyes at what we can see, we're going to see what Paul talked about. Men are lovers of their own selves, they're covetous, they're boasters, they're proud. It looks like sometimes that God and the kingdom of God is losing. But I'm telling you we serve a God that if he said it in his word, it's going to happen. We serve a God that if he's given us a promise, that promise is going to become a reality. We may have to wait for it and we have been waiting for it. But notice what God says in verse 20. After announcing doom and judgment on the proud after talking about the uselessness of idols, he says this, but the Lord. Oh, I love that right there. Those three words can get you through any dip that you go through in your life. But the Lord, notice, is in his holy temple. That means that God is still in heaven. No matter what your circumstances say, no matter what you see, God is still in heaven. And God is still on his throne. And God is still in control. And God is still ruling. And God is still reigning. But the Lord is still faithful. But the Lord is still good. But the Lord is still strong. But the Lord is still in control. But the Lord still rules and reigns. But the Lord will do what he says he's going to do. I'm telling you right now I'm preaching better than you're responding to me today. But this is a good word for somebody in this house. Somebody put your hands together and give God some thanks and praise for his word. He told the Babylonians, the prideful people, he said that your glory is going to be covered with shame. That's a picture of somebody that's gotten so drunk that they end up vomiting all over themselves, covered in their own vomit. And God said, that's what's going to happen to the Babylonians. He said, you're going to be covered with your own shame. Your glory is going to be covered with shame. But notice what he says in verse 14. But as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. Your glory, Babylon, is going to fade. And listen to me, in the end of end times, there is a system in this world called the Great Babylon. But the Great Babylon is going to fall at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back to establish his millennial kingdom here on this earth. But notice, at that time, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth like the waters cover all of the sea. Oh, what a day that's going to be when God is going to be proven faithful. That everything God said he would do has come to pass. The glory of the Lord is going to fill this earth. And people are going to know who the true God is. People are going to know who the real God is. I love how the writer of Hebrews attached his writing to this when he said, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ at the beginning of your journey. He said, remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering, but you stayed faithful. He said, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, 
You accepted it with joy. Sounds like somebody under the attack of the Babylonians, under the attack of the enemy. He said, you knew though that there were better things waiting for you. Oh, that will last forever. Not temporary things, but eternal things. And he said, so whatever you do, don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Keep trusting. Keep having faith. Keep believing. Remember the great reward that it's going to bring you. He said patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Hang on. The promise of the Lord's return is going to happen even though we've been waiting. He said just remain patient. Continue to endure. Continue to have faith. And notice what he says in verse 37. For in just a little while, he said the coming one will come and will not delay. He reaches back to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3 and says this promise of a Messiah, this promise of a coming king, this promise of a savior, this promise of a redeemer, this promise of a king of kings and a lord of lords. He said this promise of a coming one, it will come. And when it's God's appointed time, ain't nothing you can do to speed it up and there's nothing that you can do to slow it down but at the appointed time he is going to come but in the meantime he said the righteous you gotta keep living you gotta keep living you gotta keep living by faith in God oh listen to me this morning church Jesus is coming soon I believe that more than I've ever believed it in my life it's the greatest promise that God has ever given us we may have to go through some dips we may have to go through some suffering We may have to go through some tough times, but I keep going back to the promise. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And it's worth whatever I have to endure to get to where that promise becomes a reality in my life. I want you to stand all over this building here this morning. I want you to put your hands together. I want you to thank God for the promises of God today. Thank Him for the promises today. Hallelujah! Come on, praise Him! Hallelujah! Seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe Come on. Come on, let's see you do it. Do you believe it today? I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. in this room here today years ago God spoke something to you years ago God gave you a promise but you've been waiting you've been waiting remember what I said last week when you're on this journey and you're in a dip Sometimes things will get worse before they get better. And that's where some of you are today. You're not here. You're down here. God's given you a promise. God's given you a word. But instead of things getting better, things have gotten worse. But we have to keep going back to verse 4 of Habakkuk 2. The righteous live by their faith. You got to know something. This is a dip. Somebody hear me this morning because I believe this is a word from the Holy Spirit for somebody. 
This is a dip. It's not a dead end. I want to say that again. You may be in a dip, but you're not at a dead end. Just keep walking by faith. Keep walking by faith. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And do you know what God will do for you right here? He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will anoint your head with oil till your cup runs over. And surely, goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life. I said it last week and I'm going to say it again today. You'll never get here without taking this journey. There are no shortcuts. It'd be great if you could go from here to there. But it's a journey that every person that gets to here has to take. And what I love about the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk takes us on that journey with him. And next week, we're going to go into chapter 3 because whereas in chapter 1, he's wrestling with God about things. And in chapter 2, he's waiting for the vision to come to pass. In chapter 3, he's worshiping. He's having himself some church. But you know what? He's still here. He's not here before he decides to have church. That's where some of you are. You're waiting till you get up here. Then I can worship. Then I can have some church. Let me ask you this. The righteous who live by faith, they can have church here. They can have church here. They can have church there. They can have church here. They can have church there. Because they're not on this journey by sight. They're walking it out by faith. And they know that right now, things may not look good. Right now, things may not look favorable. But right now, I'm just in a dip. I'm not at a dead end. I'm not where God ultimately is going to take me. One of the hardest things that you will ever have to do as a follower of Christ is wait. I hate waiting. But you know what? I'm not going to sit around and twiddle my thumbs waiting. I'm not going to sit around complaining. Because that's what a lot of people who have to wait do. They complain. Go to Jack's. Takes more than 30 seconds. Where's my french fries? Where's my cheeseburger? Where's my milkshake? Complaining about the service. Complaining. Complaining. No. It's like Pastor Phillips said at the beginning of the service tonight, or this morning. When you are, when you are waiting, you can either wait with expectancy and anticipation, or you can wait with fear and anxiety and stress. I choose to cast all my cares on him. And I choose to wait knowing the God that I'm waiting on is able. And he will be faithful to do what he says. So I'm going to wait in expectation. I'm going to wait in faith. I'm going to wait with anticipation. Waking up every day of my life expecting today to be the day. And if it doesn't happen today, I'll wake up tomorrow expecting today to be the day. And if it doesn't happen that day, I'll go the next day expecting today to be the day. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up this body of believers in this room here today. God, we're all on this journey. Some people, Lord, maybe are at that spiritual high right now in their life when it seems like everything's going perfect. And there's others, Lord, who's already come through this journey that is at a place in their faith and their relationship with you like they've never been before. But then, God, there are others in the dip today. They're in the waiting room. They know you've spoken to them. They've written it down. They know without a doubt that they've heard from you, God, but what you said is going to happen hasn't happened yet. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus today that the word that has gone forth has increased their faith because your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 
Lord, as we leave this building this morning, our circumstances may be the same they were when we walked in. But I pray that our perspective has changed. That our attitude has changed. And that we walk out of this place with expectancy and anticipation. Especially concerning the return of Jesus. May we not get discouraged in the delay. Because you are coming soon. May we be prepared. And if there's anybody in this room here this morning, you're not prepared to meet Jesus. If he were to come today or if you were to go by way of death, if you're not prepared to meet Jesus today, there's never been a better time than for you to receive him than right in this building today. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came here to this earth and that you lived a sinless, perfect life. That you are the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. The perfect Lamb of God. And I believe, Jesus, that you went to the cross and you sacrificed your life. That you shed your blood so that I could be redeemed, so that I could be saved. But Jesus, I don't believe your journey ended at the cross. You were placed in a tomb and I believe that three days later you rose again. And that you are alive today and you're seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven where you're praying and interceding for me. And what you need to know this morning is that Jesus has been praying for your salvation. He's been praying for your redemption. He's been praying that what he did for you at the cross, that what he did for you through his resurrection, that you will believe in your heart sincerely today that he did it for you. And then you confess it with your mouth. And when you do and you say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Holy Spirit, I know that you're dealing with somebody's heart in this room right now. I pray that they will be obedient. I pray that they will be responsive. There is somebody in this room here today that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, It's going to be the answer to somebody's promise that they've been waiting for. Because the promise that God gave to somebody in this room here today is that a spouse or a child or a family member or something of that nature that they were going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody in this room here today needs to know That you're the answer to somebody's prayer. That you're the fulfillment of somebody's promise. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do your work in this room right now. That whoever doesn't know you as Lord and Savior will reach out to you right now by faith. And surrender their life to you. Surrender control to you. Let you be the Lord, the master of their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.